Well, today we're going to begin a new message series, which is called Need Direction. Now, I think if we ask ourselves the question, if I ask all of you the question, do I need God's direction in my life? Do I need to understand what God's will is? I think there would be a resounding yes. I need to know and I'd like to know better what God's will is for my life. Now, the past three weeks, we've run a survey. And we ask everybody that was here the past three weeks three questions. Uh, what do you wonder about? What are things that you'd really like to have some answers for in your life concerning God, concerning the Bible, concerning spiritual matters? We asked the second question, uh, what do you, uh, what was it, what do you worry about? What are things that concern you? Finally, the third question was, what do you wish for? Uh, what do you dream about? If you could do anything, what, what are you living for? What would you like to happen in your life? And so we got a lot of, lot of answers, and I was trying to make sense out of them all, and I, I still am. I mean, it wasn't like there was a huge, everybody saying the same things, but I, I tried to, I lumped, one way to look at it, lumped everything together, and then I tried to see was there some kind of common theme, even though it might be worded differently. And when I did that, the topmost topic came out to be knowing God's will by quite a large margin. It was something that people wondered about. What is God's will for my life? It was something that people worried about. Am I doing God's will in my life? Am I missing God's will? And it was something that people wished for. I want to do God's will in my life. How can I do it better? And so after looking at that, I, I felt that we want to try to answer or work on answering that question in a message series because that is not a question you can give a one-word answer to. It's not a question you can give a one-sentence answer to. It's not a question you can answer in one message. Uh, it takes more than that. And so we're going to look in this message series, Need Direction, which we all do. Yes, I need direction to what the Bible has to say about how we can know God's will for our lives and make godly decisions according to that will. And so God's will gives us general principles about what his will is and how we can follow it and how we can make decisions in our lives. Let's look at the first verse, Romans 12, verse 2. Now, in the, your bulletins is a white page. I encourage you to pull it out. It has the outline of the message written there, uh, as well as the verses. And on the flip side is a bunch of study questions related to the topic of today's message. Now, those study questions are uh, often used in our small group Bible studies. We won't be using them on our bowling event. Sorry to disappoint you, uh, but you can do them on your own this week. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so I believe as we go through this message series about God's direction, it will help us be transformed by God in our thinking. We need our thinking adjusted. We need our thinking transformed. Why? Because the behavior and the customs of the world around us are opposed to God's will. And those are the things that we're being bombarded with day in and day out. And so we need to learn how to know and follow God's will in our lives. I want to list just four elements of making biblical decisions in line with God's will. We'll be looking at these in, in different aspects as we go through the series. 
The first and most important element in making a wise decision and making a godly decision and in, in knowing God's will is to understand and apply the wisdom of God's word. The Bible is our source. The Bible is our authority. The Bible tells us what God's will is. It gives us all the general principles we need to know to, to uh, follow God. So the first element is the word of God or the Bible. The second element is prayer, communicating with God. As believers, we can communicate with God and we can learn to hear from God. God communicates to us through his Holy Spirit. And as we learn better to pray and hear from God, God will give us specific guidance that's in line with the general principles of his word. The third way that we get guidance and know God's will is through godly counsel. The Christian life is not a life in which we go it on our own. The Christian life is to be lived in community with other believers. And one of the benefits of living in community and relationship with other believers is that we can get godly counsel. Other people can uh, hear from God and help us in our lives when we have decisions to make, when we have questions. Godly counsel is the third element. Number four, and these are listed probably in, I would say, in priority of importance. Number four is circumstances. What are, the, what are your circumstances? What are the circumstances, the situation? We need to take those into account. Now, sometimes God will tell us to do something that doesn't make sense with our circumstances, and they will change as we follow God's guidance. So it's the least important, but it's something that we need to take into account as well. And as we use these four elements of guidance, God will give us specific guidance concerning his will in every area of life. You know, you can read the Bible from cover to cover, and it's not going to give you the name of the person you're supposed to marry. Okay, you can read the Bible from cover to cover. It's not going to tell you if you should take job A or job B. Uh, assuming job A and B are good jobs that uh, aren't opposed to the general principles of God's word. And so we need to learn how to get specific guidance from God. God wants you to know his will. Let me say that again. God wants you to know his will. Some people think, God, you know, it's so hard. God must not want me to know his will. No, God wants you to know his will. He wants you to follow his will. And so we need to believe that. And we need to seek to find his will. And if we seek it, we'll find it. James 1, verse 5 through 7 says, If any of you lacks wisdom. There are many times in my life I lack wisdom. Anybody here ever lack wisdom? Okay. About a third of us lack wisdom. The rest have it all under control. Okay, good for you. I lack wisdom. It says, if you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it, it will be given to him. But there's a condition here. When he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. And so here... If we need wisdom, if we need to know God's will, God says ask. Ask for wisdom. Ask so that you can discern properly my will. And if we ask in faith, God promises to give us the wisdom to know and follow his will in every decision of our lives. And that's what we're going to focus on during this message series. Now, today my message is entitled, The Silence of God. 
because silence of God. Oftentimes, people blame God for not speaking to them. It appears that God is silent. It appears that God is not speaking. It appears that God is not answering their prayers, that God is not giving them the wisdom that they're asking for. God is silent. I just don't know what to do. He's not speaking to me. And today we're going to look at one of the main reasons that God is silent when we pray. Our passage today is taken from Isaiah chapter 58. And the background behind this passage is that the, in the year 537, the Persian king Cyrus allowed some of the Jewish captives to return from Persia to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And they began the project with great enthusiasm to rebuild this temple, and then all kinds of difficulties happened. There was opposition, and there was different strife, and the project was discontinued. And so we had a group of people who were discouraged, a group of people who wondered if they were in God's will. They didn't know what was going on. They thought God brought them back to rebuild the temple, and it wasn't going anywhere. They felt that God was silent. They felt that God was not answering their prayers. And so today we're going to look at four questions. Four questions in, and seek to answer them from this passage and apply them to our lives today. Why is God silent? Verse 3 of Isaiah 58 says what these people were saying at this time. They said, why have we fasted, they say. And you have not seen it. They're speaking to God. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? See, the people thought they were doing the right things. They were fasting. They were humbling themselves. They were expecting a response from God, but God seemed to be silent. He didn't seem to see what they were doing. He didn't seem to understand what they were going through. He didn't seem to, to notice the people said they were seeking God, verse 2. And, of course, this whole passage really is a, is a prophecy that Isaiah is giving, the word of the Lord to the people. It's a message from God to the people. It says, for day after day they seek me. God is speaking here. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Now, if you read that quickly, it seems pretty good. It seems like these people were really seeking after God. They wanted to know what God wanted them to do. It says, they seem eager. Perhaps there's a little hint there that they weren't so eager. It says, they seem eager again for God to come near them. As if they were a nation that does what is right. Perhaps they weren't a nation that does what is right. What was wrong? Why was God silent? Well, the passage began in verse 1 and says, God says they were in sin. It says, shouted aloud, do not hold back. Isaiah 58 verse 1, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Judah their sins. And so despite their external religious practices, the things they were doing for God, the chapter begins and says these people are in rebellion, these people are in sin. They aren't really doing right before God. They have forsaken God's commands. And now we begin to see why God 
was silent. Why he was not answering their prayers. Why he was not responding to their fasts. Now let's apply it to ourselves before we go on to this passage. If God appears silent in your life, if you're not getting any answers to your prayers, if you ask God for wisdom and you seem not to get a response, should we blame God? Perhaps we need to look first at our own lives. The Bible tells us that God is right, God is just, God is loving, God is kind. God wants you to know his will. And so if there's a problem, it's not with God. It's with us. And so we need to examine our lives. Is there any area in my life that's in rebellion against God? Is there any area in my life that has a re recurring or a sin that I have not repented of? That's in violation of God's commands, what he tells me to do in his word. And if so, that could be, as we'll see today, a cause of God being silent. In fact, that would be a cause of God being silent, of not answering our prayers. Psalm 66, 18, which I don't have a slide for, says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If we hang on to sin in our heart, we're doing wrong things, and God doesn't listen to our prayers. And if God doesn't listen, he's not going to speak. And God is going to be silent. But what can we do about it? We can repent. We say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I turn away from that sin. I put my faith and trust in you because any unconfessed sin is going to lead to the silence of God in our lives. Now let's look at the ways that God answers prayer because sometimes people misinterpret some of God's answers to their prayers as silence when it's not really silence. When you ask God something, there's basically three answers you may get. The first answer is the one we want. Okay, The first answer is yes, here it is. I'm answering your prayer. Here is what you asked for. Why does God give us an answer yes? Because we've asked in accordance with his will. And he's very happy to give us requests, answer our prayers that are in accordance with his will. The next possible answer is, what's the opposite of yes? No. You see, no is an answer. If you have children, they often ask you things, and sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say no. Now, children seem to have a hard time understanding that no uh, is an answer because sometimes the question gets repeated over and over hoping that the answer changes. But no is an answer. And what does no signify? It means that this is not God's will for your life. That's an answer. Now some people interpret no as God is silent. I didn't get what I wanted. God didn't answer me. God did answer you. He said no I'm not giving it to you and you can Ask till you're blue in the face, and the answer won't change. It's still going to be no. So no is an answer. What's the third way that God can answer our prayers? It's wait. Wait. Be patient. The answer is yes, it's coming, but not now. Not yet. How long do we have to wait? Oftentimes we don't know. It could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years. 
until the timing is right for God to answer that prayer. Now, an answer from God of wait doesn't mean he's silent. It just means he's saying wait. And as we grow in the Lord, we'll begin to discern more clearly these different answers that God gives us. And so let's make sure, first of all, there's no sin in our lives that causes God to be silent and not hear our prayers and thus uh, and not hear our prayers. So let's look more closely at what the Israelites were doing wrong and what they were thinking was right. What is wrong worship? Isaiah 58 verse 3 says, Yet on the day of your fasting, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, on the day of your fasting, which was something that God told them to do, to pray and to seek his face by fasting, by not eating, by humbling themselves in that way, by turning from any sin. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. And so on the very day that they were fasting before God, they were simply pleasing themselves. They were doing things to please themselves rather than seeking to please God. They were doing things that exploited their workers. They weren't treating their workers in the way that God had commanded them to do it, in a way that was pleasing to God. In other words, their worship, their fasting, and their lives were not matching up. Wrong worship is external only. Isaiah 58 verse 4 says, Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? So God was saying he's not really interested in external superficial worship of doing certain actions and thinking those are going to please God. He wasn't interested in, in external worship that did not have the heart engaged. Just going through the motions. That kind of worship is not acceptable to God. It may appear holy on the outside, but God sees the heart. It was ending up in quarrels, arguments with other people. It was the wrong kind of worship. And what is the result of this wrong kind of worship? Well, God is silent towards wrong worship. Verse 4 says, You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. You have wrong expectations. Just going through the motions is not going to cause me to hear. Your request is not going to cause me to notice your worship. God does not respond to that type of worship. The prayers of people engaged in that type of worship will not be heard or answered by God. He'll be silent. Now, what types of wrong worship might we engage in today that God would be silent towards? Wrong worship is simply doing something externally, thinking that God is going to notice and not engaging our heart. You see, there was nothing wrong with fasting. There was nothing wrong with humbling themselves of these people before God, per se, if it truly came from the heart, but they weren't doing it from the heart. If they were sincerely seeking after God, they wouldn't be quarreling and fighting at the same time. It doesn't make any sense. The li their lives would have been 
in sync. Now today, coming to church on Sunday, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. God commands us to fellowship with other believers. But it can be simply an external thing that doesn't move God. God doesn't hand out brownie points for simply sitting in a church on Sunday mornings and thinking about what you're going to do in the afternoon. When we come to church, it's to worship God. It's to engage with Him. It's to learn about Him. It's to worship Him. It's a matter of the heart. Anything that the Bible tells us to do, they're all good things. But if it's just an external form, it doesn't please God. Prayer, reading your Bible, um, what else would be giving. We could go on and on. All the things the Bible tells us to do, if it doesn't come from the heart, if it's not sincere, if it's simply a religious duty, it's not going to deepen your relationship with God. It's not going to cause God to notice and to hear your prayers. Now, there are also many other religious practices that people do that are not even in the Bible that they think are going to please God. Saying certain prayers over, you know, I don't get into specifics, but you know what I'm talking about, over and over and over again. It doesn't please God. It doesn't cause God to hear. In fact, God tells us, don't do that. Don't repeat prayers over and over again, thinking you're going to be heard for your many words. God is interested in what's going on in our hearts. That's what pleases him. And so that's what wrong worship is all about. That's what the people thought. If they just go through the motions, why isn't God listening? God says, I don't listen to the just going through the motions. I want your heart engaged. And so what is right worship? The Israelites were going at it in the wrong way. So what is right worship? It's worship with obedience to God. Verse 6 of Isaiah 58 says, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? God is saying, rather than just going through the motions of fasting, fasting is supposed to be about repentance, turning away from the things that you've done wrong, and turning in obedience to God, following what he wants you to do in your life. Fasting is supposed to be about breaking attitudes and practices of injustice and sin that are bound up in your heart. It's supposed to be about breaking people free from sin that enslaves them. In fact, one of the purposes of fasting even today is for God to break addictions and sin patterns in our lives, turning away from the things that enslave us and setting us free to follow God. Worship is not just external acts. It's about, about a heart seeking to obey and build a relationship with God. Right worship is worship with service for others. Verse 7 says, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? The Bible teaches in numerous places that true and right worship to God will result in a change in your relationships with people. It will affect your relationships with people. The Bible tells us if you say you love God but you hate your brother, you're not telling the truth. You can't love God and hate your brother. You can't say you love God and worship God and not meet the needs of those around you. 
And so true worshipers of God are going to seek to show God's love to the people that God has placed in their circle of influence. They're going to seek to meet the needs of those around them by serving others. And so their relationship with God will and must affect their relationships with other people. And if the relationships with other people are as the people were fighting, grumbling, exploiting, then something is amiss. Something is amiss in their worship. So what is God saying to us in the 21st century? Right worship is not just something we do on Sunday mornings. It certainly is something we do on Sunday mornings, but it affects the rest of the week. If we're truly worshiping God, it's going to affect our life seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's an attitude of the heart. When we're true worshipers of God in spirit and in truth, we're going to seek to obey what God tells us to do in his word. We're not going to ignore his word. When we're true worshipers of God, we're going to show his love to those that are around us, both in the church family, those around us at work, in our neighborhood, our relatives. Not just thinking about ourselves, but seeking to show God's love to all those around us. And so right worship is a way of life that pleases God. Now, how does God bless right worship? We've seen that God is silent towards those whose worship is wrong. So what is God's promise to those who worship him rightly? Well, first of all, God will direct your path. Verse 8 says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn if you worship rightly, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And so God promises to bless right worshipers by giving them light. What does light do? Light reveals the path you're to go on. If you're in the dark, what are you going to do? You're going to stumble. You're not going to know which way to go, but light reveals the path. He's going to bring healing to our lives. God promises to go before us. He promises to guide us. He, he promises to protect us if we worship him from our hearts, if these people worship him from their hearts. Now, these phrases remind us of the, of the cloud that guided the nation of Israel. The cloud with the presence of God went before them and led them. And behind them, there was often at night a pillar of fire that protected them from their enemies, where the presence of God and his angels were there as well. And so God promises to be present in a very special way with those who engage him with true worship, worship from their hearts, worship that pleases him. And finally, God blesses right worship by answering the people's prayers. God answers, going to answer your prayer. Verse 9, it says, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Now, that's the exact opposite of being silent, isn't it? That's the exact opposite of not hearing the people's prayers. When they offer right worship, God will answer their request for guidance. God will answer their request for wisdom. God will be there when they call out for help, because God longs to be with his people. God longs to guide them in his ways. God longs to protect them to give them direction. And so he blesses right worship in a, in a wonderful way. He's not silent to those who put their heart in his hands. And so today, if you need God's direction in your life, but he, 
He appears to be silent. Examine your life, first of all. Are you worshiping him as a matter of duty or is it coming from your heart? Is there any known sin in your life that you need to repent of? If there is, repent. Turn to God with a sincere heart. And determine to worship him continually, living in obedience to his word, serving others. And then God will break open his light into your life. He'll show you the way to go. He wants to show you his way. He'll give you the strength to follow it. He'll give you wisdom to make godly decisions. He wants to walk with you through life. As you follow him, what are we to be? We are to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are to see him up ahead and we are to follow behind. He wants us to see him. He wants us to follow. So open your heart in a new way today. Surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as you do, God will not be silent. He will speak. He will direct your decisions and provide his direction in your life. Now to hear God speaking to you, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, if you're not sure that you know Jesus, we're going to pray a simple prayer. A prayer in which you give your life to him as your Lord and Savior. A prayer in which you admit that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things, that you've been not following God's direction in your life. You've been going your own way. A prayer in which you ask God to forgive you and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven and rose from the dead and lives today. And finally, commit your life to following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so let's bow our heads right now. And we're going to pray a prayer, and I'd encourage you to pray along with me in your own hearts. If you've never prayed a prayer like this before, if you don't hear God speaking, if you want to commit your life to him or even recommit your life to him, say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I haven't been listening to your voice. I've been doing what pleases me, not what pleases you. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived, on the, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead, come into my life. I turn from my sins, I repent, I commit myself to following you as my Lord and Savior. I want to do your will. I want to follow your way. In Jesus' name. And for those of us who are already believers, let's ask God to work in our lives, that we might draw closer to him, that we might be people who hear his voice and follow his direction and worship him in spirit and truth. Father, we thank you that you want us to know and follow your will. And we want to please you. We want to walk in your ways. Forgive us for the times we've had sin in our lives and, and we couldn't hear you speak. Forgive us for not repenting more quickly. Help our worship, God, to be genuine worship from our hearts. Help us not just to go through the motions, but help us to truly engage 
with all of our beings, to love you with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength. May our worship be our way of life, not just something we do on certain occasions. May, may our worship cause us to walk in obedience to you seven days a week and to serve others in love, to, to live out our love for you by loving those that you've put around us. Thank you, God, that as we ask for wisdom, as we ask to know your will, as we ask for direction, God, and we believe, we thank you that you're going to answer our prayers. And with your help, God, we can make godly decisions. With your help, God, we can live in your blessing. We pray, God, that you'd help us as a church family, help Life Church, to spread your message of truth to more and more people in the St. Louis area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.